We love to read stories, watch movies, and documentaries about self-made people. Perhaps it's the self-made billionaire, the self-made entrepreneur, the one who had nothing and became something. We, we seem to be attracted to that kind of self-made story. No one helped me. I did it on my own. There's this is a pride that one has, the sort of rags to riches story. It's attractional. It makes us feel good. And ultimately, it's inspirational. We ourselves want to pull ourselves up and to make something of ourselves, to be somebody, to make a name, perhaps even a legacy. Knowing this about ourselves, knowing this is a tendency, pride ourselves in being strong, having life together, we are tempted so often to put on a facade in our personal lives. We work hard to make sure that others think good about us. We make sure that our public personas the way our children behave, the way our spouses treat us, the way people think about us in public is good. We, we do all that we can. We want to ensure that our kids are well-behaved, well-respected, and well-educated. We pride ourselves in our ordered finances. We pay all of our bills on time. We don't have any debt. We pride ourselves in our clean homes and our picturesque landscaping. Younger generations pride themselves in, in their Instagram pictures and the way that they can frame the photo. In photography, it's, it's known as framing the picture. We see those pictures. They look picturesque, perfect. But if you've ever tried to take a picture before, you know there's a lot of things going on in the, in the background. There's a lot of things going on the fringes of that picture that, that we tend to try to cut out. Just recently, I was trying to take a picture myself, and I was positioning the camera in such a way that certain things were not in the picture. We, we do that. We try to frame our lives so that all the ugly things on the edges, nobody can see. We don't want anyone to know that we're struggling to love our wives or our husbands. We don't want anyone to know that, that you know, I would, I'm really tempted to just let my kids stay outside because I just can't handle them anymore. Somebody take them. We don't want anyone to know that we haven't paid our bills on time in six years. We don't want anybody to know that we have unsurmountable debt. We don't want anyone to know that, that secretly we struggle with sin. Anyone to know that in fact, all of those filters that we put on our pictures, all of those smiles that we put on our faces, all of those seemingly good and well behaved kids we have, it's not as good and well as we had hoped for. You see, brothers and sisters, pride in life and the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot coexist. 
All of that pride that you have cannot coexist with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are antithetical to one another. As you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's not a story about how great man is, but rather how weak he is. It's rather a story about how great God is, how powerful he is to save. Friend, this message of a self-made man is not the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is not, look at how good my life is now. Look at how cleaned up my life is. But rather, it's that story about how wretched of a sinner I am. And how much I need Jesus every day. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of, sa- of sacrifice. Of death. Not a message of life. You see, in order to have life in Christ, you must first die. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of the cross. Where we willingly admit that our life is a facade, it's a fake. We've been faking it. We've been lying. We are the masters of our own deception and our own realities that we create. And for you and I who have experienced the saving power of Christ, it was those moments in our life where we recognized that we are weak. We come to the end of ourselves. The end of our struggles with sin. The end of our pride. The end of our perfect family. When it all comes crashing down, then Jesus can save. Friends, we want to think this morning about this temptation in us to pride and why we need the power of God in our lives. We want to think about the spiritual warfare that we've entered into. And as Paul begins to conclude this letter, it would be easy for us to do what you do in every sermon, right? I I know you do it. I probably do it myself, right? When the preacher says, in conclusion... Uh, what happens is this. I hear those little zipper covers going up, you know, zipping your Bibles up. All right, time to pack up. And for you and I, we might do that. We might say, okay, Paul's wrapping things up. It's time to go home. But rather, what Paul is doing here isn't just wrapping things up, but he's, he's giving us a final application. He's saying if all of 1 and 3 is true, and all of chapter 4 and 6 is true, then this also must be true. That we are in the midst of a cosmic battle. He's been exhorting us throughout these last few chapters to walk as children of God. To walk worthy of the calling that we've been called to. uh, To give credit to where credit is due. That God has saved us and made us new. And as we follow this command to walk as children of God. We must realize that we are up against spiritual forces of darkness. We're in the midst of a spiritual war. That Christians live out the Christian life not in some neutral zone. But rather in the midst of a very fierce battle of good and evil. A cosmic war we're going to see in the the next few weeks. And a cosmic battle of of darkness, of evil. So often as, as Americans we are skeptical of the supernatural. 
because of Hollywood and the, you know, the, the spinning heads and the, the weird stuff that you see come out of Hollywood, we were kind of skeptical. We we're like, I don't know about that. And being good Baptists, we, we essentially like, oh, I don't know about all that demon stuff and, and uh, craziness there. But, the, but Paul is very frank here in this passage that the devil is real. Now, while we don't want to be the, 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 the sort of the other extreme where the devil's in everything, that's very unhealthy, right? The devil's in my, you know, broken computer or the devil's in my broken down car, all right? So, you know, devil isn't occupying inanimate objects. Um, I think equally so, uh, we don't want to be enamored with the devil so much that we think the devil is after us. Like, guys, he's not omnipresent. He, he's got better, bigger and better fish to fry than me. But his minions are out there. It is a spiritual battle. And Paul has been praying all throughout that they would recognize this spiritual battle by alluding to it and using words like strength and power and about Jesus being the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the one who sits high and lifted up. Remember he prayed back in chapter 1 in that first prayer. He prayed that they would know the strength of God, that they would know the greatness of God in Christ. In other words, he prayed that they would know resurrection power. Power that is operative in their life. Operative in uniting every tribe, tongue, and nation, Jew and Gentile alike, into one new body. Christ Jesus being the head. He prayed that they would know the power of God on display through the union in the local church. And then in chapter 3 at the end, he prayed that final prayer before he launched into all this application we've been thinking about. Remember, he prayed that they, that they would know that God is all-sufficient, all-powerful, and that his name is Christ Jesus the Lord. And that through him, they would derive the strength they would need to fight sin, to fight against temptation and trial. As Paul is giving this sort of general command today, as we think about it, we're just going to look at verse 1 today because I really think we need to get ourselves in the right path forward. In other words, you need to see your need to put on the armor before you put the armor on. Because frankly, a soldier is not going to equip himself with his equipment unless he's going to battle, right? Soldiers don't hang out in the barracks with bulletproof vests and, you know, all of their uh, gear on, right? They only do that when they're getting ready to go to battle, when they know that the, the war is hot and they are going into a fierce conflict. And so for you and I this morning, we must be convinced from verse 10 that we need this armor so that it will motivate us to put it on. So this morning, we want to think about this in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, for the sake of your mind and many of this, that many of you, this passage is new, it's unfamiliar. Uh, you may have never even heard of this idea of the whole armor of God. It may seem strange to you. Um, I want to read this whole section. We're going to only consider verse 10 today, but I want you to see what Paul is writing. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having felt and fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chain, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So what are we going to think about this morning? Brothers and sisters, the point of this passage is clear. We must stand strong in the midst of a fierce spiritual battle by God's power alone. We must stand strong, stand firm in the midst of a fierce spiritual battle. We want to think this morning about how you and I are to stand firm. How in the midst of the spiritual warfare that Paul has clearly identified that we are in the midst of, how is it that we are to stand strong? So Paul gives this command, right? Be strong in the Lord. Two points to the sermon this morning I want us to consider. First, our need for spiritual strength. Our need for spiritual strength. We need strength to stand firm. Secondly, I want us to consider the source of our spiritual strength. I want us to think about where does our strength come from? Is Paul seeking to motivate us to rally the troops with some motivational words? Find the strength from within? Is he calling us to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and get get engaged in the battle? Is he calling out to the one who's naturally courageous? One who's naturally ready to run into the fire rather than run from it. I don't think so. I don't think so. My hope this morning is to argue that you need strengthening by God's power and his power alone. So let's consider these two points this morning. Look here at verse 10 again. Finally, be strong. Finally, be strong. Finally, he says. In other words, Paul is not starting something new. In other words, he's seeking to summarize all that he has talked about throughout. He is intimately connecting this spiritual battle and the need to put on the armor of God and to be strengthened with all that he said throughout. We must see the connection between application and spiritual warfare. We need to understand that you and I need God's strength. Now, as you look at this passage... It says, be strong. And for you and I, as we read this in our English language, we're kind of like, oh, he's, you know, he's telling us, be strong. And it's natural for us to kind of puff our chest up, to begin, begin kind of like, yeah, all right, I'm getting ready. I'm getting my mindset. I'm ready. I'm, I'm amping myself up to this. But in the original languages, it's really more of a passive voice. In other words, as the Christian Standard Bible has helpfully translated this passage, finally, be strengthened in the Lord. You see the nuance of that. Being strengthened is different than finding strength in yourself. 
It might be tempting for you to read that and think, okay, I've got it in me. I need to be strengthened. But Paul's point here is that you are weak and you need to be made strong. We need to see ourselves as weak. The very command implies a need for strengthening, doesn't it? Paul wouldn't tell them to be strong if they were already strong. Throughout Paul's uh, teaching in the, in the New Testament, he, he regularly comes back to this theme of weakness. Of course, in that pinnacle passage, as he's dealing with the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes this. Paul, remember, had prayed, God removed the thorn from my flesh. Prayed three times. God was like, no, no, no. Because Paul was prideful and God was dealing with his pride. He was saying, no, if I remove this, you're going to think that everything's okay. You're going to find self-sufficiency. And what God was teaching him is sufficiency in God alone. And, and so Paul writes this, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's the same word Paul's using here, just in a, in a sort of an imperative form. Paul is saying, if you want to be strong, if you want to be strengthened, then you must first empty yourself of strength. Self-made strength, self-made courage. Paul here is, re is reminding the church that the only strength that they have is from God and God alone. They are weak without him. As he writes to the church in Philippi, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, Paul is confident. He's not proud because he recognizes the source of his strength. And we'll think about that in just a moment. Well, throughout the Bible, we see that the servants of the Lord were regularly exhorted to be strong, to stand firm, to be strengthened by God's power. Moses, as he is uh, preparing the Israelites to enter into the promised land, as he's giving them the final exhortations through the law, he writes this, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear a panic or be of dread of them. In other words, stand firm, he says. Stand strong. Or as Joshua was getting ready to descend upon the plains of Jericho with the, with the army of Israel. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swear to their fathers to give them. Be strong. Or remember Haggai's words to Zerubbabel. As Zerubbabel's rebuilding the, the second temple, they've grown weary and tired of the work. And Haggai comes with the word of the Lord. He says, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, O jo Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. We're reminded in the gospel of Jesus Christ that God is not calling us to be strong in and of ourselves, but to be strong by being weak. Security in our nation is a billion-dollar business. We want to be secure. Whether we want our social security numbers to be secure, our homes to be secure, our cars to be secure, our health, our financial future, 
And you think about all of the ads you consume in media advertisement every day, I will guarantee you at least half of them have to do with security. Perhaps you could argue all of them even do. I want to be secure in my health, got to go to the doctor. Be secure in my financial future, make sure I got enough money for retirement. I want to be secure in my home. I don't want somebody to break in. I've got to get an alarm. I've got to get all those cameras put outside so I can see what's going on, so I can see what my neighbor's up to. We want to be secure. We want to be safe. We want the sense in which we feel safe in all aspects of our life. But friends, we know living in this fallen world, there are times when we feel unsafe, insecure, and frankly afraid. a reminder of our own weaknesses, isn't it? I mean, frankly, you can't build your house into Fort Knox and still have problems with burglars. It'll happen, right? I mean, even the, the most innovative security system fails. You, you can have the most secure servers in all the world and someone's going to get into them. We're weak. We're reminded in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we need spiritual strength and that that spiritual strength does not come from us. As we sing often, all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need for him. As Jesus calls sinners to himself, he doesn't say, hey, you know, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and come to me. He says, rather, all he requires of you is that you feel your need of him. That you are weak and that he is strong. Brother, this, mor- this morning, sister, this morning, where are you strong and need to be made weak? Where do you need to confess that you are weak in this area of your life? Maybe it's with what you see. Maybe you're weak in what you hear. Maybe you're weak in what you think. Where are your weaknesses at? Are you honest with others about your own weaknesses? Or do you seek to put on that personal persona that you've got it all together friend you are not fooling anyone you're not fooling me you're not fooling your brothers and sisters around us there is no one that has their life together no one we're all sinners here this morning we're all broken we all need jesus this morning and the last thing we want to do in pride as a congregation is to gather under the foolish delusion that everything's okay in our lives True revival begins when you and I recognize our need every hour. Every hour. I need them. Not just when it's going good. Even more so when life is going good, do we need him. Friend, where are you weak this morning? You will never be strong enough for God. You will never be able to fight those spiritual battles in your life without the enabling power of Jesus Christ. You must first begin. Friend, if you want to overcome the temptations in your life and the indwelling sin in your heart, it begins by confessing, I cannot overcome this sin apart from Jesus. Period. That's the hope we have this morning. As we heard in the prayer of confession, we are free from the bondage of sin. As we heard in the prayer of praise, God is most powerful. 
All of that is true. But see, you must by faith believe that you are weak. As Paul says, then you'll be made strong. Well, let's look next at the source of our strength. If we settle in our hearts that we need strength, then where do we get our strength from? Where does this strength come from? Does it fall from the sky? Does it come from within? Where is this source of strength? Notice here, look at verse 10 again. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. Paul outlines this source of our strength is first through our union with Jesus Christ. Throughout this letter of Ephesians, Paul has used this prepositional phrase in Christ or in Jesus or in the Lord throughout. And I've encouraged you throughout our study of this letter to see this theme of the union of Christ with the believer. What we're talking about here is that all that Jesus experienced, you've been united with him in. You've been united in a death like his. How much more shall you be united in a life like his? In other words, all that Christ experienced, we have been united. And also in eternity, we've been united with Christ. As Christ reigns in the heavenly places, so we are united with him. Just turn back, for example, to chapter 1. I just want to point this out to you. you just either. I know, it's been, I know you guys remember all of my sermons, so I don't know if I really need to do this, but uh, let's look at back at chapter 1 from you know, January of last, this year. Um, look at what he prays. Look at how he wants, uh, in chapter 1, notice the frequency here in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with he has blessed us in the beloved, in Christ. Right? Verse 7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our past trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us all in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in christ things in heaven and things on earth paul was building you up theologically he was teaching you this this union that you enjoy with jesus christ you've been united to him Eternally, from eternity past, to the death on the cross, to to his resurrection and ascension, you, by faith, have been united to him. Therefore, our spiritual strength comes from this union with Christ. We draw, by faith, strength through our union with Christ. It's a a mystical and mysterious thing, but it is something that, that we do gain from the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ. As the Holy Spirit dwells within us, he empowers us to stand firm, to stand strong. Brothers and sisters, it is important for you to to have your mind settled upon this truth. That you can overcome your sin. You can overcome this temptation. You can overcome this trial. Not by your own strength, but through your union with Jesus Christ. This is what we heard so clearly in Romans chapter 8. But if you doubt God's power in your life, meditate on Romans 8, memorize Romans 8. 
I am sure of this, Paul writes, that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. Nothing. There is no temptation, no trial, no enemy so fierce that you will not overcome, Paul writes. You will not be separate. Your union with Christ is an eternal superglue that cannot be severed. It cannot be broken. You will never be lost if you are truly united to Christ. Well, what about those who fall away? What about those that seem to stumble and fall and and drift away? Well, friend, all we have to conclude from that is that they were never united to Christ. Period. As John reminds us in 1 John, for they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have stayed with us. They would have endured. So you see, it's our endurance that is the testimony of assurance that we are truly united to Christ. Friend, every little time you resist sin and you overcome temptation and you endure through trial, you know what that is? That's God's sweet whisper in your ear, your mind. I've given you the strength to endure. I've empowered you. I've strengthened you to overcome See, God is reminding you through those moments of life. And he even takes us sovereignly to these moments of utter despair to remind us of that truth. When we are weak, then he is strong. Friend, the only way you'll ever be strengthened is through your union with Jesus Christ. It is the only way you will be strengthened. Secondly, here in this passage, he says that we are strengthened in the union of Christ. And notice here he wants to emphasize the the kind of power that we are receiving in the strength of his might. Be strong, he says, be strengthened in the strength of his might. Paul wants to make clear what kind of power we are being strengthened by. Are we plugging into 120 volts or are we going to like the, 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 the epicenter of power? Throughout this passage and throughout this section and throughout this letter, Paul has used this power language throughout intentionally to build towards this passage. Look again, back in chapter 1. In chapter 1, he prayed for this congregation. He says, listen, I pray for you. Verse 18, that your eyes of your heart would be enlightened that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to, here it is, what is this great and immeasurable power that he's worked towards us where it comes according to the working of his great might? The same word Paul uses here in verse 10 is the same word he uses there in verse 19. This mighty power of God. Where was this mighty power of God working? Verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What is he talking about? Resurrection power. There is no greater power than dead people coming to life. It's nothing. There's nothing greater, nothing more mysterious, nothing more powerful in all of the cosmos for those who are spiritually dead to come to spiritual life. Remember in... uh, In John chapter 3, 
Nicodemus is like, I don't understand. My, I am a scholar, right? I know my, my, my Old Testament. I have studied hard uh, my, my religion. Jesus, you are blowing my mind. <laughs> I don't understand these things. I remember Jesus is like, Aren't, you're like a teacher of Israel and you can't understand these things. What, what's wrong with you? Right? Because Jesus is pointing there to the, the power, that resurrection power that those who are reading John's gospel will experience and know the power of a dead man coming to life. There's no reason, there's a reason why John uses the story of Lazarus in his gospel to display that resurrection power. The power that is operative in our own life. Later in Ephesians 3, he prayed. In Ephesians 3.16, if you have your Bible open there, you can just see he prays again that according to the riches of his glory, God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Again, we see the passive voice used here by Paul that believers are strengthened by an agent outside of themselves. Someone else is acting upon them. And here he tells us the Holy Spirit It's the Spirit's work of empowering us. This resurrection power comes from the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so we should pray regularly, Holy Spirit, empower us for the work of ministry, the work of fighting against sin, the work of everyday life. And I wonder, do you begin your day with this prayer? That God might grant you strength? By his spirit in your inner being? I pray you would strengthen us in our earthly labors, yes. In our day-to-day jobs and the course of life. But do you ever pray beyond spirit, uh, physical things? Do you ever pray like spiritual prayers? Father, help me fight against lust. Father, help me fight against pride. Father, help me fight against anger and bitterness, resentment, and a whole host of other things. Do you ever pray that you would be strengthened spiritually to, to not give in to those same temptations every day? You're praying that God would strengthen you? Friends, you're not going to pray that if you don't see it as a need to pray that. You see, if you've got your life all together, frankly, you're not going to pray that. If you don't see, as we've seen here in Ephesians 4, and we'll think more about it in a couple weeks, that that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle, if if you don't see that, you'll be a blind fool in this world. And the enemy will abuse you and take advantage of you and make your life miserable. Brothers and sisters, let us see that the source of our strength comes from the Lord and his mighty power, creative power, resurrection power. These are not just sort of things we're thinking about out here in space. These are real things that are available to you by faith, by believing that, that yes, the Lord will supply my strength. Do you believe that? In the midst of the temptation that you're faced right now, or the trial you're in, do you believe this? This is true. You can depend your eternal soul on it. Brothers and sisters, let us be strengthened by the power of His might. 
John Owen, in his book on temptation, helpfully writes this. Nothing can empty the heart of this self-sufficiency but faith. Living by faith, not living to ourselves, but having Christ live in us by our living by faith on him alone, by making the soul poor, empty, helpless, and destitute in itself. Faith engages the heart, will, and power of Jesus Christ for assistance. In other words, you've got to empty you of you in order for Jesus to indwell you with his power. That's our prayer today. May we be weak, but he is strong. Let's pray. Father, we pray today as we think about our need for spiritual strength that we would genuinely see the need. And I pray that as we gather around the table here in just a moment, a visible reminder of our need for you to die for our sins, that we cannot save ourselves, that we cannot do enough good in our lives to impress you, but that your son had to die the death we deserve. And the power that you use to raise him from the dead is the power in us to stand strong against the, the evil one, to stand against the temptations from within and from without. Father, I pray that you would empower us for your glory.